Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode here of In The Zone. This is episode 209. I'm Giancarlo Lino, joined here as always, co-hosted by Chris Martelli, uh, Anthony Piniello still on the LTIR. Uh, we'll hope he <laughs> comes back once in a while. Uh, we need Mikey's minute back. Uh, Piniola, going to get him back on here. But uh, Chris, we got to start with last week where we went off talking about Sami Zayn, Roman Reigns, this big matchup that I'm not going to lie. I thought Sammy should have won the excitement of Montreal, everything around it. The fans were rallying behind him. Roman was getting all the booze, the top heel there. And Roman gets the job done at the end there. Do you think they made the mistake there by giving Roman the win? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I mean, Roman Reigns has had one of the most impressive runs ever. I mean, he just passed. I think I saw a stat today where there was a women's tag team that had the longest run since WrestleMania won. He now has the longest reign since WrestleMania became a pay-per-view. So Roman Reigns' run, man, has been uh, absolutely incredible, historic, legendary. Um, I think the circumstances with it being in Sammy's hometown, it's very hard to, to basically have Roman pin him, but I mean, what can you do, man? We said it for the last like month. They put themselves in a corner here. Like, but I do think Alino, it was best case the way they ended it. Uh, they had Kevin Owens come out to a pop, and the crowd they were still a little disgruntled, but they weren't too too like they didn't take over the the end of the show with Boo. So, I thought the match was phenomenal. I'm not gonna lie to you, I think it was one of the better. Um, emotional main event matches that I've seen in a long time. I think the last emotional main event that kind of was at this level was Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan. That that, that was a long time ago. So they've hit a home run with this storyline. It's one of the best storylines in a long, long time. Sami Zayn plays that baby face perfectly. Roman Reigns, man, blowing kisses to, to Sami's wife in the crowd was just the icing on the cake. Uh, having Jey Uso come out though and not really attack anybody to me was kind of underwhelming. I know it's it it did make sense in terms of storytelling. You still don't know which side he's on, which obviously makes sense. But at this point in time, I feel like it's going to be Jey Uso and Jimmy versus Sammy and KO regardless. So some people were a little torn between that, uh, Alino. I think some people wanted to see Jey just kind of you know, like hit hit Sammy and cost him. But at the same time, some fans are like, this is kind of cool how he still hasn't really turned yet. So I thought the match was phenomenal. Honestly, Alino, I think right right now might be match of the year for me. It was incredible. Um, but yeah, great start to 2023, man. The Rumble and the Chamber, both pay-per-views are phenomenal. Yeah, I think they should have had... The big moment there, like imagine Sami Zayn winning, taking the titles in Montreal. They could have found a creative way around it. And like it just kind of compares to like when Eddie Guerrero beat Brock. Like at the time, it's like, okay, maybe Brock wins. He faces Goldberg or whoever at WrestleMania and then drops a title and leaves the company. But they ended up taking the title off him a month earlier or two months earlier. He loses to Eddie and that was a big moment for them. And it's still a memorable moment. So I think they could have done something similar with Sami Zayn where you least expect them to win and in Montreal just uh really heighten that up but 
Uh, I agree with you. I think like Jimmy J for Sammy and KO and like no disrespect to the other matches there. Like I know they're trying to build up Charlotte versus Rhea, but if I'm looking at a WrestleMania main event, I think the tag title match between these four with how strong this story has been going on, that should be closing the show on night one. And then on night two, you got Roman and Cody. Yeah. And I do like how you brought up Eddie and Brock, it's very similar, right? I mean, No Way Out is not an A pay-per-view. It's one of the lower-tier pay-per-views. But at that time in that year, Eddie Guerrero, um, I think they were more just thinking about the fans. I mean, the more technical sound wrestlers. We saw Chris Benoit win the he won the, the Royal Rumble. And I thought that would never happen. And then, of course, Eddie Guerrero beats Brock Lesnar. And I thought also that would never happen. So... Yeah, you know, they definitely could have looked back in time historically and said, you know, that Eddie Guerrero run was really, really good. But again, his match at WrestleMania was kind of overshadowed by the triple threat. I thought Eddie and, and Kurt Angle back in 2004, you think about those two at a WrestleMania, that should be match of the night. And it just flat out wasn't. So maybe they just thought Sammy couldn't be the guy to have the match of the night in the main event at WrestleMania. I don't know what they think, Alino, but... I do think in this case, Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns, when you think about main eventing a WrestleMania, call me crazy. I don't know if it's going to really live up to the expectation. Yeah, going to have to see how this buildup goes because I think everybody's still talking about Sami Zayn and the bloodline. So if that overshadows that feud, would be unfortunate. But uh, going on to this pay-per-view or premium live event, whatever the hell they're calling it now, uh, Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley uh, didn't really have closure, so immediately everybody thought, okay, this is saving for WrestleMania. That's when they're going to go beat the crap out of each other, and that's when they go all out. They're not going to do it second match of the night on a B pay-per-view, but then all of a sudden, on Monday, we have MVP and Omos say that they're challenging Brock Lesnar to a match at WrestleMania. Is this a swerve to get Brock to come out and the Hurt Business realign together and beat him down? Or have they, as a whole, at creative, lost their minds? I've heard rumors, man, that it's going to be Bobby versus Bray Wyatt, too. So it's not looking good if that's the case. But, yeah, I think this is a not a good move for WWE. I mean, Omos... Very green in the ring. Uh, I don't think Brock Lesnar would want to work with a guy like Omos. Brock usually likes being the biggest guy in the match. And I mean, we have seen Big Show and Brock put on like pretty decent matches in the past, but that was when Brock was like 25 years old. Now he's like 44. So I don't think he would, I don't think he would really work with Omos. I know he likes working with Finn and like the young, like the, the smaller guys. And of course, Roman Reigns over the years, but I don't know about Omos, man. I think that would be a flat-out mistake. I think I agree with what you just mentioned. I think it's more of a ploy to have him come out and just have the Hurt Business kind of just beat the crap out of him. And I do want to see El Lino. Obviously, I know what we saw two weeks ago with Bray saying, like, oh, like, whoever wins that match, I'm going to face him at Mania. I think I'm more intrigued, honestly, to still see Bobby and Brock go one more time. No DQ. Hell in a Cell even, just beat the crap out of each other. I think the winner of this will eventually be Brock Lesnar. And I know a lot of people want to see Gunther versus Brock. I think they might have to save that for SummerSlam. Yeah, I'm with you. And just like the whole build now, because you have Bray Wyatt in the mix. This is going to be his first WrestleMania back in a while. And uh, we're 
looking at some of the other guys, like LA Knight had a hell of a promo there on SmackDown where you can't have a WrestleMania in LA without LA Knight. What do you think they're going to do with these two now? LA Knight is a is an intriguing name. I think he's a guy where the star power isn't there to have an interpromotional match where, like, let's say there's a guy on Raw that's not doing anything. Like, I don't know with, with LA Knight, man. Like, this is a guy that, for me, honestly, I know a lot of the fans won't agree with me when I say this. I think he's already kind of like a mid-card to sub-main eventer. I wouldn't be surprised, Alino, if we got to see maybe a Miz versus LA Knight. I think that would be pretty cool. But again, they're both heels at this point, so I don't think it would work. But you look at the names on uh, on SmackDown, it's just not feasible for LA Knight to really be in a WrestleMania uh, program, man. It's it's sad to say because you have Drew and you have Drew and Sheamus going for the uh, Intercontinental title. It looks like you got uh, Gunther, who's the guy who's been running it there. The only guy I'll you know that I think maybe you could have LA Knight go up against, and it makes no sense, is Kerry and Cross. But like again, they're both heels, so I don't know what they're thinking with LA Knight. Honestly, I'll you know it's sad to see, but. His mic work could carry him to a program if Triple H wants him to. Here's a name that's uh, also been floating around a little bit. What about Randy Orton returning? Do you think they have a big match set for him, or do you think he's going to be a surprise maybe for the night after WrestleMania? I mean, they're going to have to get him on TV quick if if they want him at WrestleMania. It's coming quickly, man, and – you look at the names on SmackDown. I, I, it would honestly be beneficial for a Randy Orton to face like a Karrion Cross or an LA Knight at WrestleMania. It, it won't benefit Randy Orton by any means, but if you look at Karrion Cross's body of work, uh, he faced Drew McIntyre, was was phenomenal in that program, and then all all of a sudden, like they they've had no plans for him since. So I think Karrion Cross would be a guy if I'm Randy Orton coming back and let's say Triple H goes up to him and says, you know, you're going to face one of these guys. I think Karrion Cross would probably be number one on his list. But do you think Randy Orton, Alino, could be a guy that can kind of face a guy like a Gunther at WrestleMania and everyone would be okay with it? Or would you rather see Randy take on maybe like a Drew McIntyre in a singles match? Yeah, I'd be fine with him versus Gunther. I think it'd be a nice uh, clash of styles there and Orton can make him look strong. He doesn't have to win, too, at this stage of his career. I think he would still look good. It would kind of be like Austin Theory versus Cena. Like, if Austin Theory gets the win over Cena, I don't think it would damage Cena. And same with Gunther. If he beats Orton, I think they're both fine uh, the way they are. It'd be a different situation if it was, like, uh, a Finn Balor, like, type of guy who's up there in age and going up against him and just lose for nothing. But I guess a guy like Gunther, I think it's uh, a perfect – mixture and helps bring up another younger talent yeah it's just hard to think about right now with randy because he hasn't been around for a long time and even matt riddle is like nowhere to be found i think a bit i honestly alino i think the biggest surprise after wrestlemania on the monday i think is going to be biggie i wouldn't be surprised if he came back at some point and maybe went after lashley or went after somebody of that nature i don't think he'll go for the title immediately but i think He's a guy that could definitely bring a meaningful program to either SmackDown or Raw. What do you think about Big E, man, when he comes back? Because we're talking about Randy. Why don't we just kind of transition to another guy that's been out for a while in Big E? 
Yeah, I'd love to see Big E back. Uh, it would just be like, I think he said like in March, he has to, it's like the one year mark where they see how his neck is to see if it'd be safe for him to wrestle again or how he would react to it, bouncing off and like taking bumps and stuff. So if they say they give him the clear, they go ahead to go and do it. I think the first program he should do is uh, against the heel and maybe go after a guy like Gunther and say he wants a title. He want the Intercontinental title when Biggie was holding it. That was like something that was making him uh, a commodity there, where you can see him in the main event and he wins a title. So I think that would be a, a good return. Gunther is a big name, and a guy like Biggie, I don't think they would throw against Roman or Cody. So I think that would be the next safest option. I like that, man. I think uh, I know that the injury is definitely like almost career ending, but. There's one thing we know about people that really are focused. Look at guys like Edge and Daniel Bryan. Anything's possible. They can come back and win even another title. So I'm expecting big things from Big E. If it's not, you know, soon, maybe in a year or two, I think he's still going to be a big-time player for WWE. I agree. And uh, just speaking on these chamber matches, the men and women's chamber matches, I thought they delivered. Uh, we saw Montez Ford steal the show there and his. Uh, Seth looked good, but like from what I saw in Montez Ford, I think both guys and um, just the Street Profits, just what they've done on their personal like singles runs when they've given been given a chance, I think it's been amazing. I think they should have split them both up. One of them doesn't have to be a heel. You could put Dawkins on SmackDown and keep Ford on Raw, but from what I saw there, like – these guys are ready. Like, give Montez Ford, give him a run there as a single star. I can't agree with you more. I, I remember when we did the predictions, I said, if there's one guy I think that's going to have the memorable standout, it's Montez Ford. And there it is, man. He did it just like Jey Uso a couple of years back. Very similar kind of performances. Montez Ford jumping everywhere, going off barricades. Like, it was just like the guy was just proven. I actually like the way it ended, how uh, Seth did the curb stomp to him on the outside. And then, you know, he plays the injured. It was it just tied all well together. Like you had Montez Ford hurt. So that opened the door for Logan Paul to just come walk in and, you know, interfere in the match and, and cost Seth Rollins. But Ali, you know, call me crazy. That might be one of the better elimination chambers I've seen since maybe 2011 when we saw it was the one with uh, Edge winning the uh, world heavyweight title. Uh, that one was freaking – or retaining the world heavyweight title. That one was amazing. Um, the one in 2017 when Bray Wyatt won the title was also really good. But this one, in terms of technical wrestling, this one was one of the better ones that I've watched. Theory was great, playing the cocky heel so well. And, hey, let's go – let's team up and get this guy. And then, you know, obviously they turn on him. I'm not going to lie, though. There was one disappointing spot in the match, and I think it was just how early Gargano got eliminated. I think this is a guy where they should maybe give this guy a little more run with the ball. Like This was a guy where I thought in this match, we said last week, we thought maybe he'd be in the final. And, you know, he I think he was the second eliminated. So it obviously sucks. I mean, Damian Priest eliminating him, I didn't see that coming, but... Damian Priest also looked really dominant in this match where, again, I said last week that 
maybe Damian Priest will get the Baron Corbin treatment in this, and I was so wrong about that. But I thought everybody like did very, very well in their respected roles. I thought Seth obviously stood out as like the veteran type of guy that just knows what he's doing. And I thought at the end of the day, though, Montez Ford, yeah, you said it perfectly. The guy's ready to get like a, a, a not a main event run, but give him a, give him a, a mid card title, man. The guy's ready. And then just even how the match played out, like perfectly to set up another feud. Logan Paul comes through the door because it just happened to be open from when the referees were checking on Montez Ford. So I thought the way they did that was perfect. He didn't have to be in the match. He didn't have to like just make an interference at the end of it. They managed to keep everyone protected. And uh, going now, after that, you see Austin Theory make that challenge. Everyone thinks it's going to be Cena the next night, but it's Edge. Uh, Edge like comes out. They do that thing, but they announce that Cena is going to be on Raw, I believe, March 6th. So I think that's when they're going to announce it. Like, Are you okay with Cena versus Austin Theory for a title, or do you think they should have had it without a title? Uh, either way, I, I think it's big enough for it to not be uh not have a title on it but i mean theory now being the forever champ and he's starting to do open challenges again i think it's kind of like a more of a slap in the face to cena like look i can do what you do i'm gonna do open challenges and i'm gonna defend my title like you did and it comes back full circle when you think about the u.s title the last great run was john cena's in 2015 he really elevated that title i think theory at this point in time the fact that he cashed in his money in the bank for the U.S. title and ended up, you know, uh, he was successful in winning it. I think it's just it's one of those things where he he's a now he's a really well-known name, Austin Theory. I don't want to say he's ready for the main event right now, but he's probably a tier under that. I think him and Cena, it's big enough to not have a title. I think you could have easily put Montez forward with the U.S. title. You could have had Seth. You could have had Gargano. There were a lot of names, like I said last week, that I think I could have seen winning this. But the safe bet, the safe bet here, Alino, obviously, is to have Theory beat Cena at WrestleMania, carry the United States title for a little longer, be really, really cocky after beating Cena, and then we could probably see a guy like a Montez Ford uh, have an incredible babyface run after he beats a Theory down the line. And going on to that, we see the women's chamber match and. Uh, some surprises there, uh, except for the winner. Like, Asuka gets it. She's going to get that title match. Do you think this one was uh, another memorable one, or do you think it was a little bit more of, like, a filler for what's going to come there on Raw? I mean, it was good for what it was. I thought Natalia being in it was kind of useless. I know what the whole point of her being in it was, but... I thought Raquel was really good. I thought she was dominant. I think in a year or two, she's going to have a title uh, at some point. Liv Morgan, to me, just continues to just be phenomenal. Every time I watch her, she just uh, continues to improve and impress me, man. In every single match, every stipulation, she just just achieves everything that you expect from her. And I know a couple years ago, everyone was saying, give her like five years. She's very green. She elevated that to like two years. So... It's just amazing how far she's come. Carmella being in the final, I mean, that to me, that was a swerve. I didn't see her being in the final, too. It was predictable, obviously, for Asuka to win. Everyone was saying, oh, I could see Liv winning. 
would have been cool, but then you have to turn Liv heel at that point, and I don't think anybody would have wanted that. So you have Oscar versus Bianca Belair. I think that's going to be absolutely phenomenal, and I think this is where we see Oscar finally reach that that status that we thought she would after she won the the Royal Rumble back then. So Oscar for a little bit, Alino, she was uh, in a little bit of a slump. They didn't really know what to do with her. I think now with this face pain, with this character, with the reaction she got at the Rumble, I think we finally might be seeing the full potential of Asuka. I agree. And uh, the Chamber now, now that's done, it's going on to WrestleMania as the next one. And every year they really pack these cards because now it's two nights. So they're going to need some star power to sell it. We know Cena is going to be there. We know Edge is going to be there. Do you think there'll be anybody else that they'll make a call to that we really want to make this uh, a big event? I think Randy Orton is a guy that you got to kind of watch out for. I think another guy, Alino, that I really do want to see at this event, and I don't know if it's really going to happen. Uh, and I, I hate to say this because, like, this is guy is one of my favorites. It's just – like there's just so many guys that I think need to be a part of the show and they won't. And I think the rock at some point in time has to come out here and give the people what they want. It's in Hollywood. Just come out, whether you're in the main event, you're somehow involved. I don't want to say it's like WrestleMania 27 where he rock bottomed, you know, uh, let's say Roman reigns and then Cody wins it like because of help of, of the rock. I don't want to see that, but, I do want to see some sort of instance where maybe we get Stone Cold in a cameo. Maybe we get The Rock in a cameo, something like that. We saw that little trailer with uh, with Seth Rollins being the Joker. I thought that was really cool. I think we're going to start seeing more trailers of that. But I do want to see Randy Orton. If there's one guy that I want to see wrestle at WrestleMania, it's Randy Orton. Because you have Edge and John Cena there, you got to have Randy Orton there. I agree. Should be a good one. I think uh, The Rock, you have to. like This whole story, I think, was started so you can do Roman versus The Rock. And after every year, it's like, oh, yeah, Rock, maybe next year we'll do it. So, okay, let's keep the title on Roman for another six months to a year. And then after The Rock's not going to be at WrestleMania, okay, let's keep it on him for a little while longer. Let's give the Sami Zayn feud a run. So I think they have to do it. If they don't do it, I think they'll be one of the biggest missed opportunities for all of them, especially what Roman's been doing. Uh, these last couple of years, but uh, WrestleMania right now is uh, 39, I believe. So next year is going to be WrestleMania 40. Do you think we'll have something where we're going to see more younger talents than usual go over on the veterans as a way to like kickstart like a new era? Or do you think right now they're nicely balanced with their roster? I think right now it's, it's nicely balanced. I'll, you know, I say this all the time with there's not really any prime anymore for age. Like you just do your best work whenever you, you do your best work. Like look at Seamus guys still going at a very elite level when he was younger, what 2015, he wasn't as good as he is now. You look at AJ Styles body of work. You look at Randy, you look at Finn Balor, like these guys are in their forties and they're still really, really good. And look at Edge in his fifties, but I do think when you go into WrestleMania 40, you think about guys, for example, the young guys like Montez Ford. You think about Austin Theory, Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair. 
I think Pete Dunn down the line, I don't know what they're really planning for him, but I think he's going to have a, a bright future in the company. There's just so many guys that right now are in NXT as well, like Braun Breaker, I think. Regardless, I think he's going to be something special. I think Triple H has big plans for him, but it's. I think it's perfectly balanced right now. There's a lot of guys out there that you think are younger and they're just flat out not. So, I mean, Seth Rollins is still only like 35, 34 years old, and everyone's like, oh, this guy's like 40, like he's old. It's like, no, not really. He's not really old. He came in at like 25 years old. So, yeah, to me, Alino, like the, the more I watch wrestling, I don't think there's really an age where you have to look at this guy and say, yeah, this guy's going to be our future. He's going to be our star. Because I think, honestly, Alino, if you're at the top of your game, like a big E was, he was what, like seven, six, seven years into his wrestling career, finally hit the top. So for a guy like Theory, it's different where like this guy is probably going to be one of the better going to have one of the better careers, I think, when we look back at it in 15 years. But everyone else, it does take a little bit of time. Yeah, I agree. Just look at uh, some of the guys that ended up getting success later on, like Anetti Guerrero, like we were talking about earlier. It took a while before he became that world champion. So I think uh, as long as these guys keep at it, they'll eventually get to that goal. But, uh, Chris, this is an exciting time, not only for WrestleMania, NHL trade deadline. It's like uh, the second part. They have free agent frenzy and then the trade deadlines. Trade deadline never really lives up to the hype for most years because uh, all the teams do business beforehand. But Patrick Kane is on the board and it looks like he really wants to get traded. I don't blame him. Do you think this happens to where New York is going to end up getting lucky here because Chicago just wants to get something for him? I don't know if it's going to be New York. I know he, the media just keeps saying all he wants is New York, New York, but we know how the trade deadline goes. Usually if, if it's one team, all of a sudden you, they throw a curveball in the plans and it's like, Oh, Patrick Kane wanted to go to Vegas this whole time. So I think there's teams out there that definitely are calling on the low about him. I, I said to, uh, I said to Steve, I think Dallas stars are a great team that could, that could realistically get Patrick Kane you trade a guy like Gurianov the other way. You could trade a guy like a Faxa, like a Thomas Harley, like a young up, up and coming defenseman. Gurianov's getting like three point five million. So again, of course, regardless, Chicago's going to have to retain salary because no one's going to get the ten and a half million up front. But I do think of a couple teams. And obviously, New York they do have a really good return that they can get. But it's up to Chicago, man. I mean, Capo Caco and Lafreniere have not looked that good at all and I know that one guy that they do want in that deal that the Rangers are not keen on getting rid of is Philip Chidel so it's going to be interesting to see with Patrick Kane if I had to make a prediction if it's not New York I think the dark horse is Dallas in this point well Chris I think we got another oh we got an update here um I'm gonna put this up we have uh oh wrong one Searching Patrick Kane, and that popped up. Uh, wrong Patrick Kane. But uh, <laughs> there's an update on a possible trade that could be happening. And uh, I just saw it's a verified source. Uh, Elliot Friedman here, there's an article that said in the last 24 hours or so, I've been about lining everything up for cap situation, the third-party trade partners to roster and all that stuff. Kane's approval 
apparently there could be a deal in place that would send Kane to the Rangers. And this was at 11.37, so less than an hour ago that Elliot Friedman tweeted this out. Who do you think would go the other way? Because that's crazy. Uh, I mean, they just got Tarasenko. If they get Patrick Kane, like, if Shesterkin plays the way he did in the playoffs last year, good luck. Like, good luck beating New York. I know there are some holes in the lineup in terms of experience. You talk about their D being young and Condre Miller and, and Adam Fox is really good, but, you know, they lack that, you know, experience. But you look at Truba, who to me is a flat-out problem. He'll deck you anytime he can. So Banajad's incredible. Panarin's incredible. Kreider's that clutch guy. He's not going to get 50 goals like he did last year, but he'll torture you in the playoffs when he has to. If they get Patrick Kane, I'll, you know, oh boy. It's uh, it's going to be, uh, I mean, if they don't trade Lafreniere and Kako, like they're not going to ever develop because they're going to have to be stuck on the third line, fourth line for the next two years at least. So I do want to say Kraftsov or Chaito have to go the other way for sure if it's not Lafreniere or Kako. It's one of those four guys for sure. Maybe you throw in another depth guy, maybe a couple picks, second, third rounders. 25 to 50% retained 100% here. And like I said, I'll, you know, we have Carolina in that division who's really good. New Jersey's been a cool story, but at this point, if you're a Devils fan and you see Patrick King go to the Rangers – you might have to get Timo Meyer at that point if you're New Jersey to balance it out. Yeah, because I don't know. Do you think the Rangers should have just waited to the deadline and say to Chicago, you want to play hardball? He wants to leave. We can just sign him in July. You'll get nothing. And then for the rest of your GM career, you'll be known as a GM that couldn't get anything for one of your greatest players in franchise history. Like, you think they should have just played that road and maybe get Kane for a draft pick and a high-end prospect instead of gutting the team for salary? I think that's where, obviously, New York has the advantage. If Kane had a couple more years left, obviously the return would be a lot bigger. But you look at, yeah, the situation, it's like, yeah, dude, like this guy is probably your greatest player of all time other than like Bobby Hall, the Stan Nikitas, like those legendary guys. But, yeah, like I agree if you're Chicago at this point in time, you might have to settle for a trade and it might not be the return you want, but it does seem Alino every single time I watch the Blackhawks, it looks like they really do want Connor Bedard. So Patrick Kane is probably on the way out. Jake McCabe is probably on the way out. And even Max Domi is probably on the way out. So after, after March 3rd, man, this team, they're not going to be a good team at all. So regardless of the fact, I think, Chicago understands where their direction is going. They haven't been this bad since like 2004. So I do think Patrick Kane, when push comes to shove, is going to say, get me the hell out of here now. Because again, you got to think about the respect factor. If Patrick Kane didn't respect Chicago, he would stay silent, maybe not request a trade, and then just walk in July. But I think at this point, he knows that they've done everything for him. He has three cups with them. He'll probably say to them, listen, I want you guys to get a return. Trade me now while you can. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't know if Chicago holds holds any of the cards here. Because yeah, if you're in New York, this is uh, probably a one and done. Like, I don't see them getting Tarasenko and Kane at $2 million after this year. So, no. like, salary cap retention is coming in clutch here. If it doesn't work out for them, it's uh, cup or bust. So, 
Like the Rangers are going to be in a good position. The Leafs have to do something other than just Ryan O'Reilly because now if you look at what the Rangers and your own conference is doing, you look at what Boston's been doing all year, uh, I think there's still some business they have to do. But Patrick Kane, if he gets off the board, you know, everyone's attention now is going to go to Eric Carlson and Timo Meyer. Do you think if uh, Meyer gets a big return, do you think San Jose will uh, really go after and see what they can get for Carlson? I do. I think San Jose at this point in time, I don't know if it depends if they're delusional or not. I know they're not in dead last, but they're a team where you look at the direction. They just signed Thomas Hurdle to that extension, which to me at this point, I don't understand Hurdle at all. If I'm him, I'm probably getting dealt. He was in trade rumors all year last year, and then he signed the extension, which was baffling. But you talk about Timo Meyer, a guy that's a free agent at the end of the season. He's probably going to get about $9 million, nine and a half. He's just one of those guys that is just so reliable. If I'm honestly, if I'm New Jersey, after hearing all the Patrick Kane rumors, I know there's other teams that want Meyer. I know there are teams, I think it's Dallas was kicking, Winnipeg was kicking for him. But I think if you're New Jersey at this point, you do have a good enough prospect pool to kind of give him a pretty good return. You can give him Holtz, Dawson Mercer. I don't know if the Devils want to get rid of him. He's been on a heater lately, but he's been linked to the Timo Meyer uh, trade rumor. So. If Timo Meyer does get Dell, which I do think is a certain uh, come March 3rd, I think Eric Carlson as well. We're going to look at something similar to Patrick Kane where there's got to there's gotta be salary retention at some point in time. And I think Edmonton right now is the favorite to get him. As Edmonton right now, I think they're second in their division. And obviously with McDavid in his prime and dominating, you get a guy like Carlson on the back end that could only benefit your team. But Alino... I think the Edmonton Oilers have to go out and get a goalie because Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner are just – it's just a recurring theme in Edmonton. I mean, we saw Cam Talbot a couple years ago with Edmonton. They couldn't beat Anaheim in the playoffs. They have Mike Smith last year who at times was good, but when it came down to it, he let them down. So I know everybody's talking about Eric Carlson to the Edmonton Oilers, but Alino, do you think they got to go out there and look for a goalie at this point? Oh, definitely. I think the Campbell experiment didn't work. Uh, the Leafs probably are happy that the f- extra 500k was a deal breaker, and he decided to leave. But I just think, like, if you're gonna make a trade for Carlson, might as well ask for Reimer in the deal at this point, because Reimer's been playing decent on a bad team. Maybe if he's on Edmonton, he can have some good run for them and uh, play a lot better. But if you can't get uh, rid of that contract. That's going to be very tough. That's probably what's limiting them and what more they can add to this team, which has Hyman, who's a good pickup. Uh, you have McDavid, Drysidel, Nuge. So I think if they had that extra $5 million, it would benefit them so much. And maybe this might sound crazy, but Vancouver was looking at maybe putting Demko in the, the trade block just to see what they can get out of them because they want to get Bedard too. And that would obviously, since they're playing so bad and Chicago's playing so bad, that might give them some more leverage to get the extra picks there. But if you're Vancouver and you're Edmonton, uh, do you think Edmonton should try and go after uh, Demko there? Yeah, I like both cases there. I like the Reimer take just because Reimer's motivated as hell. This is a guy, he's like 34 years old now, kind of 
No, he's not at. I, I won't say he's at the end of his career. I think he still has a couple more years left. But the way he has been playing in San Jose, he was been. She's been sharing the crease with Kakinen and Reimer at times. Man, you know he wants that starting job. So if he can go to um, Edmonton, you know you could package Carlson and Reimer together, and you maybe have to shed a salary or two in in uh, in Edmonton. Maybe a guy like. I don't know, Tyson Berry goes the other way or something of that nature. But I do like the Demko play a lot if I'm Edmonton. If, if he's available, Demko's 25 years of age. The guy, I know he's had injury problems, but we saw the last couple of years. He pushed Markstrom out of Vancouver because that's how much they had faith in Demko. So the fact now that you look at Vancouver's goaltending, I mean, Spencer Martin, it's a cool story, but he's not going to be that guy. They do want Bedard. He's from Vancouver, obviously, the hometown boy. Pedersen, dude, he has been a monster this year. This is a guy where, I mean, last couple of years he wasn't too good, but I always said to Steve, he's a he's a Vancouver fan. I'm like, this is your this is your captain. This is going to be your guy that's going to be here for a long time. And he's been phenomenal. Quinn Hughes has been phenomenal. JT Miller still hasn't been traded, so... I'm surprised with that, but I think Bester's a guy that's going to get dealt. I think Demko, if if Demko's available, yeah, Edmonton for sure has to be the team calling. The only question I'll lean on is I think if they call, they might have to give up an Evan Bouchard. Like Demko's a really, I think his price is really high, man. And you're a 25-year-old goalie that's had a couple starting seasons already. Your value's really high, so... Evan Bouchard might have to go the other way. Maybe a Dylan Holloway or a Ryan McLeod, someone of that nature that maybe Edmonton doesn't want to give up. So Tyson Berry obviously wouldn't go the other way for Demko. I don't think the fact that they already have Tyler Myers with that contract, I don't think they would do it. But if I'm Vancouver, you get rid of Demko and you could somehow maybe, let's say they get Bedard and you can get Evan Bouchard back. It's a pretty good, uh, pretty good worst case scenario for Vancouver fans like for now, but then in two years, we don't even know. Yeah. I kind of hope a dart doesn't go to Chicago. Like they've been tanking too obvious, like with all the moves they've been making, like the one year deals. I hope that he goes to Vancouver, make it a hometown uh, type of thing there. It'd be a nice story. Not for Chicago. I don't think they deserve the first overall pick. I think they should go to Vancouver or, you know what, Arizona, that little barn at that uh, university over there. <laughs> That would be fun to see him going around there, get some life in the building and in the market. But I just think like it, it's such a weird thing that Demko, when I saw that, like this is a guy who was playing 60 games last year and just the upside there, why you want to trade that. But Vancouver's management has been making some dumb decisions as of late. So why stop now? Uh, but looking on <laughs> to Winnipeg, that it has been a nice story this year. I thought they were going to be like one of the teams fighting for a wild card and just drama galore, but everybody's bought into the system. Do you think they'll make a big move or do you think they'll just uh, stick with the roster they have and uh, look at the draft as a way to make some trades? I mean, I thought they were going to get Jonathan Taves. I just think, again, he's from Winnipeg and the story and the fit I think would have been amazing. But unfortunately, with the whole uh, respiratory problems with him with COVID, it's unfortunate. Uh, he's not getting traded. I think the fact that it's either he's probably going to retire in the offseason or maybe get a one-year deal somewhere. 
But I do really love the way Winnipeg has really turned the tide. I know the whole Shifley drama in the offseason. We thought that this team would be, like you said, like a wild card team. Hellebuck, dude, just continues to impress me with his consistent play. This was a goalie where a couple years ago, he was doing the Bobrovsky, man. He was borderline Vesna and then struggling to start. But the last couple of years, he's put three, four really strong seasons together. Cole Perfetti, dude, is going to be amazing for Winnipeg. This is a guy that really has elevated the second line. Pierre-Luc Dubois, Alino, you look at his stats, almost a point a game. Uh, Kyle Connor is that elite-level talent. The guy is, I think, top 10 quietly in scoring. If I'm Winnipeg, I'm circling a guy like a Max Domi. I'm trying to get a Timo Meyer. I'm trying to get a little more offensive production. Josh Morrissey's had a phenomenal season. And another guy that I do think they should go out and try and get is a Gavrikov, is a Eric Gustafson on uh, on Washington. Just one more defenseman I think they need because I have heard, Alino, that they do have a couple hotshot prospects that they are almost certain willing to get rid of, like a Vili Hainola or a Baron. So Winnipeg's an exciting team, man. I didn't think they would be in the situation. I love their head coach. I think he was phenomenal in Dallas has the same culture, brings it to Winnipeg, smartens the hell out of the star players because we were talking in the offseason. Is Shifley and Wheeler, are they going to just leave? And like they've just bought into the system, like you said, and it's been really good. So I'm really happy for Winnipeg as they are a Canadian team. I'm really rooting for them. And I can't believe I'm saying this, Alino. I still think to this day they won the line A trade. Yeah, that's uh... – Looking good right now. It looks like they did. Uh, at the time, it looked like Columbus is going to be this team that everyone's going to be talking about, and they've struggled a lot. And uh, going they through might get Bedard. Downs. Yeah, that's, imagine that. Bedard, Gaudreau, and Line. Johnny Hockey. You got Connor coming in and Line. Maybe Line will be uh, a little bit more invested in that. Hopefully, he'll play more than three games in a row. But uh, Going on to uh, the Leafs because Mitch Marner has been uh, the MVP of this team all year. And everything he's been doing like with guys like Ryan O'Reilly and making them in positions where they're going to succeed, get the puck, they don't have to do too much. Do you think they should just go after another forward there, like a sniper on the wing, so Marner can uh, play off Tavares and another guy? or? Do you think the defenseman is uh, a priority right now? I think defense is priority for this team. I mean, Justin Hall is not cutting it. I like Connor Timmons. I think he's a cool story. But you need another DL, you know, to be successful, I think. Specifically after what Boston just did getting Orlov, their decor is phenomenal. Like, they got Orlov, they got McAvoy, they got Carlo. They got uh, Grizzlick. Like they got a great back core right there, and Pasternak, Marshawn, Bergeron, Taylor Hall, Zach Coyle. Like their team is just so good, and they have Nick Foligno on the fourth line. I, I heard again. I hear the Leafs really. They're really trying if they can to get a guy like a Sam Bennett, and if you can get a guy like that on the third line, that just completes it, man. Like you could have Ryan O'Reilly second line, keep Tavares um, on the wing. Um, you could have Sam Bennett with maybe Engvall and Matthew Nice come playoff time. I do think we are – maybe we do need one more forward and one more D, but we look at the salary cap. 
it's going to be tough, man, to really get someone uh, meaningful unless you ship out a Kerfoot or you ship out an Engvall or a Robertson. We've been saying this for the last two years, Alino. Do you finally see the Leafs trading Kerfoot? Yeah, I think Kerfoot. And I actually think Robertson, they might do it now because if they're seeing all this demand for Nice, maybe they look at him and say, like, you can just have him for 900K for the next three years. And if he has all this upside, there must be something special there that we can tap into and benefit our team rather than just trading him and getting a veteran player and let him go and help someone else. So I think with Nice emerging as this uh, high-end prospect and probably their best prospect in the system right now, they'll probably look at Robertson as a guy that they can move out and see what they can get. Uh, I don't know if Luke Shen would be the guy, like if Luke Shen's packaged with somebody and you can throw Robertson and you can get Luke Shen on top of like another star on their team, maybe a Besser uh, to come in. I think that would be something that they might consider at this point. Yeah, I, I do think the most likely option for us in terms of forward, it, it is Max Domi or like a Sam Lafferty, like someone like that, like not a household name. I mean, Max Domi is a household name, but you would have to get rid of a Kerfoot and maybe even a Robertson to get Domi. But I, th- I do think Robertson has to go, man. And there's no knack to him. Like the guy, he's had his injury problems, but even when he's healthy, I don't see him being a top six forward with this team. As long as Willie's here, Marner's here, Matthews, Tavares, you have Bunting who they really like. I think like Robertson at most would be the second line winger and we've seen at times it's worked, but he's not been consistent enough. So if you can trade a Robertson to bolster your playoff chances, I'm doing it nine times out of 10. And the fact that Matthew Nice is rumored to come to our team come April and be a part of our playoff run, that's also intriguing as well. So I like Max Domi a lot, man. He has 46 points in 57 games this year. He's playing his ass off. Um, I think he is going to get a pretty decent contract next year whenever it's up. He plays with all heart in the world. If he comes to Toronto, his hometown, he might be a little more motivated than we think. So if we can get a Max Domi, if we can get a Luke Shen, and we have a guy like Ryan O'Reilly Alino, I like our chances specifically against the Tampa Bay Lightning this year. There's uh, some more updates here on the whole uh, Rangers and uh, Chicago uh trade talks apparently uh it looks like patrick king going to new york is uh, a 99 because Kraftsoff is uh a healthy scratch and i do to management reasons and uh that can only mean one thing that he's part of the deal for kane and it's uh almost finalized it seems like do you think now is uh where teams are it's going to be the domino effect that Okay, Kane's off the board. Now we're going to see like 10 trades be announced before that long marathon special where they're probably going to be talking about AHL deals. I hope not. I mean, I love the trade deadline. They put a lot of work into it out there. Our boys on TSN, I think they do a phenomenal job every year. But if Patrick Kane does get dealt today, let's say, which again, it seems like it, I think in the next couple of days, you're going to see the big fish gone in Timo Meyer. And I think it's going to be a team that's in the same division as New York. If you catch my drift, I think the Devils are the team to land Timo Meyer. They got Alex Holtz. They got Dawson Mercer. They got 
a bo- a boatload of first round picks. Jack Hughes, dude, is right now a top ten center in the league. He's fourth in uh, Hart Trophy voting right now. If I'm the Devils, after seeing Kane go potentially to the Rangers, you have to get Timo Meyer because Alino, we know it right now. Carolina's in first. The Rangers and the Devils are looks like they're going to be facing each other in the first round. That's going to be box office if uh, Kane goes to the Rangers and Meyer goes to the Devils. And do you think that's a nice return there? Kravtsov, uh, Titian, like, do you think those are nice names? Or do you think there's going to be a lot more to this than just those two? I mean, Kravtsov does have potential, no doubt about it. He went, I think, ninth overall in 2017. He's a guy that went to the KHL, I think it was three years ago when it was COVID, and we did see some rumblings of him being disgruntled. Remember what happened with Lias Anderson uh, when he was on New York and he requested a trade? Kravtsov did the same thing, but then he bought into the system. So we know that Kravtsov has kind of matured as an individual. I think this is a guy where if you go to Chicago, you play first, second line, we could maybe see some good numbers from Kravtsov. But the fact that Kako and Lafreniere are not in this deal just shows that Chicago has no cards in this at all. They're desperate to get rid of Kane. And it's sad to see because, you know, every good team, every good run has to come to an end. But just the way that Chicago's, like, just the last couple of years, it's just left a really bad, sour taste in my mouth with the Blackhawks. So you said it best, Alina. They're, they're really trying to tank. I think here, you know, you, you don't even get Kako or Lafreniere in this deal. To me, it's mind-boggling. But Kravtsov is a guy that I do see have a little bit of potential going to Chicago. I like it. See how uh, this develops as the hours go on here. And uh, probably tonight, once uh, the Rangers game's over, that's when they'll probably announce it as being confirmed and, like, finalized and all that stuff. But uh, I'm looking at other teams like Pittsburgh, Washington. Those teams come to mind. Like, you have a core on both teams that's not getting any younger. Like, they're in win-now mode every year. Are you uh, happy when – just like the low, I guess not quality, but it seems like the names that are being rumored out there, like, is it disappointing that these two teams aren't going all in and going after anyone? I think it's gotten to the point, Alino, where it's kind of realistic, where you look at the salary and you look at everything that they're kind of committed to, like Kuznetsov, Backstrom, and Ovi, those contracts are huge. You look at Latang, Malkin, Crosby, those contracts are huge. So even TJ Oshie's contract is pretty big, so it plays a factor for sure. I mean, to me, the biggest fish, if you want to sign a forward here, other than Meyer and, and Kane, is probably Besser. If Besser were to go to a team like Pittsburgh, be on the second line with like a Raquel and Malkin, that's pretty terrifying. And I've been saying this the last four or five years, there, there haven't been a lot of results for Pittsburgh and Washington, but they got the experience. They have the cups. If you really want to face a team like Pittsburgh after adding a Besser, good luck. Because as good as Kane and Tarasenko would be on the Rangers, you never want to face Malkin and Crosby with a fresh face like a Brock Besser, a guy that needs a new scenery. If 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 I'm Pittsburgh, I know they've been pretty quiet, but they need to try and get a guy like a Brock Besser out there. Because if they get a guy like him... Brock Besser might find his scoring touch that we saw back in 2017. 
I like it because yeah, just looking at their team. I was looking at the cap just now and scrolling down that just to see the contracts. Like Latang, he's making a lot. Crosby, Malkin. So I know it could be tough if you want to look for long term pieces, but for rentals, like I think they could be in the market for some guys to come in. Even uh, another defenseman wouldn't hurt. But uh, we'll close on this one because uh, I think some teams should uh, look at a loophole here and do some sneaky stuff. Uh, we saw Shea Weber get traded. Supposedly, he's obviously not playing, but he got traded regardless. That contract, it's an LTIR. If your teams like Toronto, uh, Pittsburgh, New York, anyone, do you make a trade for Jonathan Taves? Put him on the LTIR. Uh, the trade will go through, but then come playoff time, when there's no salary cap, Look who's cleared to play all of a sudden, and you put them on your team. That's a loophole, I think, that nobody's exploiting here. You think you uh, more of these teams should look into that? Absolutely. The guy is one of the greatest leaders of all time. I mean, the salary sucks, but if you could retain it, trade him for like a, like a B prospect at a fourth, third-round pick, you're doing something right there. Because we saw over the years, dude, look at Tampa Bay all those years ago going 18 million over the cap and winning the cup. Uh, I think if the Leafs can do something like that, I know everyone would hate the Leafs. Oh, they cheated. They went over the cap. But, hey, we we, we, we beat the system just like Tampa Bay did a couple of years ago. I think if Taves were to come to Toronto, oh, boy. Are we, it, would, it, are, it arguably already is the greatest Leaf team of all time when you look at our team on paper. You add Jonathan Taves to that fourth line, it's the best Leaf team of all time, and it's not even a question. So, you know, I do want to say this, though, because we, we did talk about Pittsburgh-Washington. This guy won two cups with, Wash, with, uh, with Pittsburgh. Phil Kessel is a sneaky name out there that I do think you look at the salary, you look at the way that Vegas is kind of situated in the West right now. If you're a team out there like a Dallas, like a, like a Pittsburgh, are you calling for Phil Kessel? I think Vegas might want to keep him because that was like the a low number that they got him for. And, you know, in the playoff time, he's a different guy. So I think they're going to use that as play him for the year in this kind of role. And then come playoff time, you can go up and down the lineup, get hot at certain moments. I think that's what they were banking on. There was a gamble for the whole year. And they're hoping that it pays off because we saw in Arizona what he was able to do there with that team. And uh, just making sure everybody around them was better. And they got some wins there. They lost to Colorado. But I think in that first opening uh, wild card round, they managed to get through. So I think uh, it would be hard to see Kessel get traded after him being signed as a rental to Vegas. But I think the Taves one is the one that you have to go. Because it's Toronto. Like, you're not breaking any rules. He's an LTIR. He just so happened to get cleared and in the you can just tell them when they ask you what about Jonathan Taves you can say we only traded for him because we want the first negotiation rights with him when the season's over we want to be that first team that he talks to that's the only reason why we traded for him he said he could play hockey after and he was cleared so we put him in the lineup I think that's uh the way around it but Kessel I think it's going to only be uh, a Pittsburgh maybe even Toronto if they can do that or Colorado Edmonton like one of those four uh, I guess I'll close with this. Like we we know about Chikrin being a very, like he's a he's a guy out there. He's still got term. He's got two years left. 
He has 28 points in 36 games this year. He's been really good, Alino. Who do you think is the, the team that's going to go out and get Jacob Chikrin? Because I've heard Boston, they're probably not getting him now after getting Orlov. Do you see it being a team like a Winnipeg, which, again, like I mentioned, they do have assets to get rid of. And if they get Jacob Chikrin, what do you think Winnipeg's going to do in the playoffs? Yeah, that would be scary. Like, And I would feel it would be a nice move for Winnipeg just because they lost all their top-end defensemen when they had a really nice team. Like, it was Bufflin, they lost uh, Truba, they lost Myers. Like, they had a solid group that could have won a cup. They just needed to add some pieces around them, and then it was unfortunate. So they had to, like, kind of retool in the back end, and it cost some playoff rounds. So I think it would be a good story. It's just Chikrin. Do you think he would stay there after two years? That might be the difficult one. You could trade him after in the offseason, but I think Chikrin is him being traded is going to come down to whether Meyer gets traded first, uh, maybe Carlson when he gets off the board. That will uh, show the market because Arizona has a, a good position there to hold them until the draft and move up even once they see the order if they miss out on Bedard. So uh, I think. Arizona would probably wait unless it's a crazy offer from like a Carolina that can get it done. I like that, man. I think there's a lot of teams out there that we don't know where they are. Like, are they buyers, sellers? Like look at Buffalo and Detroit. They've been on a little bit of a win streak. We thought they would be, I mean, Buffalo obviously is not selling the team. They're young and they're up and coming, but Detroit is a team where I look at them and I'm like, they got Perron, they got Bertuzzi, they got Fabry. They got all these guys where, you would think they're expendable, but now that they're kind of, I think they're third or fourth in the wild card race. Do you see Detroit being a little more stubborn at the deadline, or do you think they're going to offload a guy like a David Perron and a, and a Tyler Bertuzzi still? Yeah, I think Perron is the guy that they always, he's always in a trade uh, come deadline time, free agency. And then he always manages to find his way back to St. Louis and the <laughs> cycle starts all over again. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's a name off the board. Uh, once all these guys get, maybe they see the price too high. They look at Perron. Okay, this is reasonable. It's nothing too crazy. Detroit doesn't have any hopes of winning the cup this year. It might be a draft pick they want. So I think he'd be a guy that once the hours start going down and teams get desperate for a veteran, I think that's what we'll see. Him and Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi might be a little tougher, but I think Perron's going to be a reasonable price. Well, next week, man, Friday is the trade deadline. I guess we'll end with this with the Leafs. Alino, we're going to be talking about it next week on this podcast, and we're actually going to have results of the trade deadline. Who do you think the Leafs, out of all the names that we talked about, do you think there's a realistic chance that we could get a Taves, or do you think it's more of like a lower tier, like a Luke Shen? Who do you think the Leafs get March 3rd? It would be nice to see them uh... – really just say screw it we're gonna get after the biggest fish available but i think luke shen and it would be a, a nice story because he was really the first guy that kick-started the leafs rebuild in 2008 to where we are now he was the original guy they brought in they wanted john Tavares. they ended up getting luke shen their cards didn't go in their favor at that lottery and now imagine having them both on the same team from that draft, that's what Burke wanted to do. He wanted to trade for uh, that pick and get Luke Shen. It'd be a, a win for Burke because then he can brag and say, that was my draft pick that's on the Leafs right now. And uh, he was the guy that rebuilt it and put it together. So I think it would 
combine the different eras of the Leafs rebuild, which has been going on for a decade. And it would be a nice story to see Luke Shen uh, on the team. I agree. I think realistically, we have a good shot at getting Luke Shen. I like the way he's been playing the last couple of years. Struggled to stay in the league in 2016 to like 18, but since going to Montreal, uh, sorry, since going to Tampa Bay and then Vancouver, he's really found his niche in the league, and he's kind of like that guy, like how Ron Hainsey was back in the day for us, like a shutdown D. He'll play about 22 minutes. Maybe you could have Luke Shen be with uh, with Morgan Riley on the top line because we know Riley likes to pinch a lot. Luke Shen could stay back, and you have like guys like David Camp. A couple other guys just, you know, stay back for a guy like Riley. What do you think about – there's another name out there that I've heard for the Leafs. I don't know if it's as impressive. His cap is a lot more. I heard the Leafs are trying to get Tyler Myers from Vancouver. If you're the Leafs, are you doing that or are you just kind of going more the cheaper option with Luke Shen? I think if you can get both Luke Shen and Myers and uh, offload some salary that you might not need anywhere. Like Kerfoot would have to, I think, go uh, that – cap hit would uh, be off the books but Muzzin is a LTIR so they do have cap to work with I think he was at like 5 mil so that's where they were able to take a risk there at O'Reilly and uh, when they got his cap it did cost another draft pick but at least you only got like 25% of his contract because two teams are retaining salary I think we can see something similar it's you have to find the right team and you have to give them the asset back so I think it's realistic. They can get one or both of them. Maybe uh, you look at Philly. I know JVR, uh, he's been coming off. Maybe if you can get him for a cheap uh, cap hit, if he gets bought out, that would be the best-case scenario. But I don't think that's realistic. So uh, a Luke Shen, Tyler Myers is probably uh, the two I would go after. I like it. I think JVR is the guy that we got to watch out for. I think JVR might be going to Dallas. I heard he might be going there playing on the second, third line with Marchment and Faxa. I think would be really good for Dallas's cup run as well. JVR is not a flashy guy, but he can help you for sure to get some goals. So regardless, man, we're excited for Friday. It's going to be intense. That's uh, episode 209. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. I hope it doesn't end up being uh, a day filled with no trades and uh, we're going to find out like what Wilkes-Barre, Scranton or all these other teams in the AHL, the checkers, that they made some minor trades. So I hope we see some big trades saved until then. Uh, but we'll find out next week. This is Giancarlo Lino, Chris Martelli, signing off.